welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink the impact of magic on the worlds of D&D. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. You might know me as Sterling Vermin or the Sterling Vermin Adventuring Company. And my name's Dane. I'm a dungeon master, a podcaster, and a voice actor. And uh, together, Benjamin and I are going to be going through some spells. What exactly are we doing here, Benjamin? The point of Dispel Magic, or, or the reason I wanted to do this podcast, is because I think there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of missed opportunity, to think about how spells, magic items, and maybe kind of the, the mystical or magical traits of some races and monsters might impact your world building, the way you write adventures, or some of the off-the-wall ideas you might come up with as a player. We're going to take a spell at a time and just try and spin them out of control. We're just going to take them to the farthest reach we could possibly stretch what it means for this spell or this magic item in the world. The idea is that for a lot of these, we're probably going to be looking at spells or magic items that you've written off. You're thinking, oh, there's not a lot you can do with this, or there's a very niche application for how you would use this. And we're going to be thinking, if this spell exists, though, what What changes? Yeah, what changes about the setting? How do people really use it? Because when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, you're looking at spells and magic items and monsters and all that through the lens of how will this help me in an adventure? But the people of D&D worlds are not looking at these things as how this helped me in an adventure. They're looking at these things as how can I improve my quality of life? Yeah. Or how, how am I, I living? How can I make money off of this? Mm-hmm. That's what they're thinking about. How can I screw over the other thieves guild? Right. How can I stop crime? How can <laughs> I be the top criminal enterprise? All that sort of thing. So before we get to today's spell, I want to talk a little bit about the assumptions that we're making about D&D worlds. Standardizing where we're coming from. Often when, you know, if you look in the Dungeon Master's Guide, there'll be conversations about how to make a low magic setting, how to make a high magic setting, all that type of stuff. We're assuming you're kind of going straight down the middle or kind of using a standard kind of vanilla D&D game. I love vanilla. Uh, Okay. It's a delicious flavor. (laughs) I prefer a lot of flavors, I think, to vanilla myself. But in this case... (laughs) It's good that you like vanilla because that's what we're doing. Oh, good, good, good. The assumptions that I'm making are that the player options in the player's handbook represent, to some extent, what the world is actually like. What that means is that the wizard class, through its features, implies that there's a infrastructure to wizards, that there are magical schools that people can go to where they get taught. You know, wizards learn spells by copying them into their spell books. So there must be multiple other wizards in the world that they're learning this from and kind of the more wizards there are the easier it is to learn magic and even with clerics that's a entire system in itself right there's temples and that teach magic or at least they they have access to magic through their their faith right that's trickier because we don't know how many people the gods actually imbue with the ability Mm. to cast cleric spells or whatever there's nothing in the player's handbook that implies that clerics bards druids sorcerers warlocks are really rare Mm -hmm. compared to wizards they all seem to be in the mix equally in the mix and the very fact to me that more than half of the classes in the game are spellcasters means that magic is a very real to some extent common part of the worlds of DD. 
you're living in a town, you might see some magic right. that day. Because if nothing else, if that's not true, then the player characters who are wandering around casting spells, everybody's losing their mind seeing that happen. So I've heard of yeah, such things, but right. this so, is ridiculous. So was, that's the campaign setting you're running where everybody's just mm-hmm. losing their heads because they saw somebody cast magic. Then magic must be commonplace. And then that sounds fun for one session. <laughs> and then the rest of it, it's like, okay, we get it. Everyone's very right. impressed. Yeah. Come At on. a certain let's, point, let's, that would uh, get pretty exhausting to play out. So uh, what are we what are we starting with today? With all that, I wanted to start kind of nice and easy with a cantrip. The cantrip I want to talk about today is mending. Why don't you give us a rundown of mending? Dane? Okay, I'll give you a rundown. Mending is a transmutation cantrip available to artificers, bards, clerics, druids, sorcerers, and wizards. It takes a minute to cast, has a range of touch, and its duration is instantaneous. Um, Specifically, the spell text says, this spell repairs a single break or tear in an object you touch, such as a broken chain link, two halves of a broken key, a torn cloak, or a leaking wineskin. As long as the break or tear is no longer than one foot in any direction, you mend it, leaving no trace of the former damage. This spell can physically repair a magic item or construct, but the spell can't restore magic to such an object. Um, I I know that this spell is taken a lot by new players. Mm -hmm. It's a fairly useful spell just in itself, but it is kind of, well, like we were saying before, vanilla. It it feels like a very kind of mundane spell. Yeah, and it is. I think when you and I had talked about the spell previously, something you brought up is that in a campaign you played in, I think you would use this spell Mm -hmm. to repair a ship. I feel like that's the probably the most common use of this spell is for ships mm-hmm. because I've run <laughs> games with airships. The spell featured very heavily in airship fights. There was always somebody mm-hmm. casting mending during kind of airship to airship skirmishes to try to repair damage so that you could keep fighting or your ship didn't crash or whatever else. Designated yes. mender. That strikes me as something that even though it's not written in the spell, it's the, the genre go-to. thing, I think, that, that people just yeah. instinctively kind of know that's what you do with this. So we, we talked earlier about how players looking at these spells are looking at them from an adventurer's perspective and thinking, how would this help me in an adventure? But when you think about what people would do, just normal people mm-hmm. would do with this spell, this whole separate picture comes into focus. The number one thing I think about is the economic impact of a spell mm-hmm. like this. There are a number of tradespeople that the existence of this spell impacts really negatively. Right. It, it almost eliminates. Them right. Completely. Like they have to be there to create the object in the first place. But once it's created, they don't have a whole lot to do. Once you've made a pair of boots for the mayor, they never need to be repaired because every time something happens to them, the wizard that wanders through this region every once in a while just casts mending on it and fixes it short of of them getting so old the very material wears through i don't know i mean it says a single break or tear i it kind of depends on i i guess on how your dm is willing to interpret that i mean essentially your shoes wearing down is a long that's a tear that happens over the course of a long time it's a wear and tear 
You know, it if is. You wanted to, oh, if you, right there if in the title. To, if you wanted <laughs> it's to written on the box. Use a, a turn of phrase to be convincing, <laughs> you could say, oh, that's yeah. wear and tear. So tear in an object. Checkmate yeah. DM. <laughs> but, but, you know, even in that, even in the case where maybe that's not acceptable, you've got things like the weaver doesn't need to, it's not just that the weaver doesn't need to, to weave, to patch, patch. clothes. It's also that all of the resources that would normally need to be collected for the weaver to do that don't need to be collected. It doesn't just impact artisans. It also impacts mm. whatever industries that artisan relies on, because all of a sudden you don't need to get more lumber to repair a hole that a tree knocked into a roof, as long as it's one right. foot or smaller. And you don't need to, you know, harvest more cotton to replace to to repair a shirt that's a, t- a tunic and the that's, leather. Yeah, exactly, all that you don't need. Mine the iron, all that all stuff. That jazz. You no longer need to do. It's a little difficult to fathom exactly the very yeah, exactly exactly how right? that would play out because i don't know what those people would do that like <laughs> i mean there'd be far fewer of them right it'd be harder to get those materials because they're not as readily available because not as many people need them right. all of a sudden in my mind i feel like i should make this clear for all of these kind of consequences to take place there has to be someone who's in the position of whose profession it is to basically cast the mending spell so it's mm-hmm. probably like somebody who flunked out of the wizard's college the far yeah, the, the farthest they, they got was like learning one cantrip which happened to be mending bender Bender. He goes around and he that's his whole deal. And he and he's doing pretty good for himself, but that's right. that's about it. He can't cast magic missile, but he does mending, and that's okay. We that's we okay. we you know we put him through mage college and we really we really thought that that was gonna go places, but it's nice that he's still around. Now in in the smaller towns where a magic user is not going to be as readily available, you're probably gonna still have a blacksmith you're going to have a leather worker like somebody who's there to help out day to day but then when bender the mender comes through you know everyone's coming out with their really screwed up stuff to get fixed that's certainly one way this could play out the other is that some kind of institution backs a person with the mending spell going out on a regular basis to kind of collect a fee from various towns. Yeah. I, I can imagine a situation in which either there's a merchant's guild or a kingdom. Or a mender's guild. Or a mender's guild. I imagine, I mean, I, I have to imagine that the mender's guild would kind of be a part of a the part. of the merchant's guild. <laughs> yeah, it's a like, subsidiary I mean, I, I of think, the merchants. Making a living casting mending would be possible, but I don't know if building a really strong institution around just that spell yeah, would, okay. would work. So the town pays a certain tax to the merchant's guild or a certain fee. And then they make sure a mender comes out there once a month to repair everything. And it takes a minute to cast. The mender probably goes out there, spends like an hour, maybe mending stuff Mm -hmm. and then gets drunk the rest of the day, sleeps in the tavern and then (laughs) walks back to where we came from. And as soon as they get too drunk and drown themselves in the well... There's another magic user who's right, right. there who knows men. It's probably. not that hard of a spell. In addition to all the classes that this belongs to, there's also races that get cantrips uh, as part mm-hmm. of the traits. And it's a feat, which means variant humans can can pick this spell up kind of at first level. It strikes me that 
that as a DM, you're answering, this is where you're answering these questions. So this mundane cantrip mending, what does this mean? Why? Suddenly you've got a much bigger government because they're governing who can mend the things. If so many magic users can cast it and they want a tighter control, they can make money off of this. Suddenly you've got a, a stronger crown presence or, or yeah, whatever. absolutely. All of a sudden paying taxes, there's like a, a very clear cut consequence to not paying your taxes or, or whatever mm -hmm. else. The other thing it makes me think of is how there would probably be in these worlds wouldn't really make sense for a player character to be this, but there's probably a job called something like hedge mage where you just okay. know basically cantrips or first level spell or two and mending would be one of the most popular cantrips. Mm, the under the table mage who comes through, <laughs> not, not under the thumb no, of I the mean, crown. A hedge mage could still be that, but I just mean, it's like some middle yeah. ground between an adventurer spellcaster and a normal, just commoner, especially if, the person knows prestidigitation as well, which can clean mm. an object. All of a sudden, you've got somebody who can come through, not only repair what you've broken, but also make it look like it's brand new. Fix your boots and exactly. shine your boots. A one, a one, all, all a in one, one stop. stop shop mage. <laughs> and that's worth at least a gold. I don't know if commoners have gold. So in the notes, you've written something about the criminal significance. Speak a little bit about what you see in, in these situations. Yeah, so there are a couple situations I think are most likely to come up in the context of committing crimes related to the spell. The first one that, mm -hmm. that comes to mind is the idea that, you know, we use paper shredders now. Probably at this time, if you had to get rid of a document, you just rip it up a few times. Not with yeah, mending, not with mending. Not with mending. So, around. So, so the existence of mending means that you'd be like burning, burning, dissolving. dissolving an acid. I mean, you would have to do something completely right. destroy it, completely <laughs> destroy documents. You don't want to be, to be found because mending is a cantrip. So super easy to fix that document and read what you would read what you did. So that that's not just criminals. I guess that's also like kind of spy craft stuff between nations. Mm -hmm. Right. Intrigue. Intrigue. Sure. So I had originally had this idea that, like when armies were fighting, you'd have somebody who, like a halfling, who would create like a one foot slit in a tent, climb in, mm -hmm. cast mending, and then maybe chill out invisible or or through whatever other means. Pass yeah, through whatever other means, not be not be noticed and be able uh -huh. to surveil the enemy. But Dane, in a conversation you and I had previously, Oh, you're talking about the yes. glass <laughs> Yeah. So in a conversation we had previously, there was this idea that like you could have a, you could use a glass cutter to create that kind of thing, which means that actually it's, it's applicable in a much wider set of circumstances. Get in, get out. Yeah. Not I a mean, trace. so I don't, I can't really fully picture what a one foot dimension means uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> because I'm not smart. Um, <laughs> at least as yeah, will be proven time and time again, we are not smart on this, this podcast. Yeah. We're just somewhat creative. <laughs> but so, so if that's not, if a one foot dimension is not small enough for a halfling to normally fit through, there are spells like in large reduce that can make even that work. And so then you've got the situation where you can kind of perfectly break and enter without creating any evidence that that happened because the halfling mm -hmm. just uses the glass cutter to cut a hole slips through 
either on their own or by being reduced using a large reduce mm-hmm. and then men's the whole. And so Bingo. suddenly you're, yeah, perfect crime. you've committed the perfect crime. Especially if the glass cutter is made of ice. Dane, uh, just for the listeners, Dane really wants to talk about Ice Knife, and we probably won't. But uh, So I'm going to let him have this one. Listen, Ice Knife has so many ramifications on the Almost greater world. None because it, like, it, because <laughs> well, you throw okay. it and it explodes okay. and then it's gone. Agree to disagree. We're talking about glass cutters. I think a knife could cut glass. <laughs> it kind of revolutionizes law enforcement and crime in that all of these things have to be rethought. Right. right. Yeah. I think the most interesting implication here in terms of crime, espionage, even business is that Mm -hmm. documents have to be treated much different and that simply there not being a physical disturbance isn't proof that something didn't happen. And this is this is where DMs deep in their world, right? So they just from thinking about how mending affects all of these things, that's giving you really cool, really interesting, atypical details that you can include in your games and throw at even seasoned players who take these things for granted. Right? Uh, yeah, I can I mean, I can imagine a scene where it's the first time you're at a thieves guild and maybe you've respond to a summons like that you received by letter or something and they ask the letter mm-hmm. back and burn it maybe a player character asks why that happens and all of a sudden there's like this whole detail that that really makes the world feel like a living breathing place because suddenly mending existing has consequences it's kind of funny right. how most D settings are impacted at all by the magic that exists in them and that's what we're going to be doing on this podcast so That'll probably do us for this flagship episode of Dispel Magic. Benjamin, where can the listeners find you on, on the internet? You can find the podcast on Twitter at Dispel Magic Pod. You can find me at Sterling Berman. And Dane, what about you? I'm on Twitter at Dane in Danger. So if you have any ideas about spells or magic items that you'd like us to explore on the show, please tweet at us at those places that we told you to tweet at. Very well put. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dispel Magic. We'll see you after your next long rest. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter, at DispelMagicPod. You can find Benjamin, at Sterling Vermin, and Dane, at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw.